The following actual play recording is rated E for edgy and contains discussions of violence, sexual themes, potentially discriminatory language, occultism, blasphemy, and the Australian accent. Please be advised. You are the monster. You are performing the ritual. You are upsetting the status quo. clear top hat why did you decide you didn't want to play the game anymore um because i decided i didn't want to play the game anymore uh honestly it was a bit of a realization it was across the two sessions um i had a heck of a lot of fun in the corkboarding session that was very cool um and then the first session was i guess where the seed of doubt was planted and then the second session was where i made up my mind um and i told uh I told someone that we all know, but our listeners won't know because he's not on the podcast. And he was like, well, that sounds like it sucks. And then, you know, like an hour later, I was like, well, fuck it. You know what? I'm just going to tell Torpson that I'm done. And also this had been the time uh, conveniently when a tree exploded in my backyard and I had to go check it out. And then my power went out. Um, and so uh, I sat on my phone and I told Torpson, terrible calamities have befallen me. I will be unable to join the third session. And you know what? For these reasons, I think I am also backing out of the show entirely. And Thompson was like, bah, 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 but okay. Um, and that was that. And then I never heard from anything again until you guys were like, Top Hat, we're doing a postmortem. And we thought it would be cool. And I thought, I thought it would be cool because it's not in every postmortem of a game that you get to have someone who's like, yeah, I didn't have that much fun. I, I left, you know? We have full translucency here at 33.3 FM. I think the word you're looking for is transparency. That's the joke. Both. It's both. That was <laughs> definitely some synchronicity that got you out of uh, having to be in further episodes of this. I think it was Tom who put it best here of, as we're doing the postmortem, we should probably try to avoid survivorship bias, so to speak. Yeah. But you know what? Like, top hat, you didn't mess up much. After you left, um, we just we, we did another funeral for Tamir Fidel, and then... We spent like several sessions just like doing all the funeral arrangements and the yeah, planning yeah. and everything. Oh, and really? Then, of course, that was the matter of actually killing. We ended up killing Tamir Fidel ourselves because we wanted it to be us. And then it all became right. like weekend at Bernie's, but with Tamir Fidel's body just like no. fluttering around through no. the university. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna no top hat. We we um I'm not gonna continue this bit because I want to respect your time since <laughs> you've gone out of your way to join us. Uh, we just said. This character had some other thing come up and had to leave. I don't remember what I wrote down in the notes for why he left, but um, there was a diegetic excuse for it that was plausible. His visa got revoked or something. He's He was a, an immigrant. That's a really dystopian but realistic reason for the UA character to disappear. I've just posted our notes, Top Hat, to give you like a very vague idea of what happened after you left. Um. Oh gosh, this is a lot of notes. Y- yeah. Whoa. It's, it's notes huh. on the whole campaign. What? I mean, I guess you did do five sessions. Yeah, we, we did. There's a brief twinge of FOMO, but I still make, think I made the right decision. To me, I missed out on the opportunity of becoming a turtle. That was my planned arc. Oh, my God. The ultimate scientist who had access to hundreds of years of secret turtle knowledge. You know, I was going to make fun of you, uh, but on the other <laughs> hand, um, you've won me over. You had me in the first half. Um, that that would have been pretty cool. But yeah. 
the reasons, the reasons why I backed out. The big obvious reason, which I will admit is partially hypocritical, given that I introduced a particularly wacky and unexpected element into Tom's backstory, i.e. Cheshire the cat, was that... Uh, it worked. It definitely worked. Yeah, I mean, it worked. Um, but to put it succinctly, I was not expecting to have to be dealing with a sex cult. I'm not a, like a prude or anything, um, or at least... I am compared to some people in this chat, but I was like, ah, that's not exactly what I signed up for. And I was okay with it for one session. And then the next session, I was like, I'm not really feeling this. I, I wanted to have cool animal adventures in the sewers because that was a lot of the stuff I contrib contributed. And that seemed to also be the stuff that the other people were interested in too. And it just kind of put a sour taste in my mouth that this cool stuff we'd added to the world wasn't really getting used. And we were just running around this cult that jacked off to their own VHS tapes. Then it also kind of felt like we did the same thing in both sessions and that nothing I did mattered because in both, like twice in a row, we were like, all right, in order to progress the story, we need to do a ritual that is a seance. And I think both times we used uh, David Bridgman as the, the conduit, right? I mean, I don't have conduit, I'd say, but he cast the spell. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the first time we did it, we had to find a bunch of rare, obscure ingredients to do the ritual properly. And we had some fun being like, Thompson, aha, we're, we're going to break this over our knee because uh, fridge safety laws, and we're going to print those out, and those are going to be our thing, and there's going to be another thing. And the next time we did it, we did it with uh, the cat food, and we, like, Thompson clearly had this, oh, um, you're going to run circles through this elaborate scheme to get this ingredient. And we're like, no, fuck it, we're, we're just going to get cat food. I had no preconceptions. Well, I thought I, I thought it would be difficult, but the, the cat food was brilliant. It was like, yes, exactly, that's exactly what we need. It was fun. It just felt like we were doing the same thing each time. And partially this was my fault. I did pick a skeptical character. I didn't play as far into the whole doing magic by accident that I could have, but just wasn't, wasn't feeling it. And um, yes. So dear listeners, I hope that gives you some semblance of why Tamir Fidel mysteriously disappeared from the events of this adventure. Top Hat is correct in the sense that uh, it is bad form to introduce like a sex cult without telling your players beforehand that you're going to do something like that. In my defense, the weird sex elements got introduced by Conscience with his character, which was part of the inspiration. And also in my defense, the video store introduced by uh, Burning Heron, plus the sex dreams from Jesus, plus Greg Stolze's naked goddess cult from the canon, all combined in my head. I'm like, this will be... And the fact that you guys didn't define the cultists or your friend was like, hmm, I'm just going to take this thing from the lore and put it in. So I, I didn't see anything of those things as sexual. It's just a VHS store. It could be doing whatever. That, that is true. That is true. I, I thought conscience was like using, he jacks off mystical knowledge in my head as like a metaphor. Yeah, I, I completely missed the fact that it was actually literally fucking Christ himself. Like that, that was something that I did not realize until the very end. I forgot about that, which is why in like, what was it? Episode four or three, when you went to the silent forest, when conscience was like telling Jesus or Gigi Jesus, you raped me. And I'm like, oh no, oh no, what have I done? I forgot about that. Oh no. It worked out well, I think, as far as like a good dramatic character moment. Oh heck, you guys went to the forest. That's cool. 
Yeah, I, I, I liked screaming, you made me gay at the house of my partner. That was good with her parents around. <laughs> there, is, there is some irony in the fact that unrelated to Top Hat deciding to leave, I had independently realized that I hadn't been using enough from the corkboard. And from the episode Top Hat left is when I started shoveling everything in. Everything on the corkboard got used. The whole buffalo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By the end, it all got reincorporated very well. I remember Melon was kind of worried towards the end that, like, we were going to have to spend sessions dealing with, like, all this animal shit. But then they dealt with each other. Nice. Yeah, that was in my notes. I'm just like, yeah, that shit's happening in the background. <laughs> um, it's gonna not going to concern the players. Yeah, speaking of someone that, like, has been observing this from, like, primarily a spectator, somewhat of, like, a creative somewhat like creatively involved in this whole thing uh doing like a writer's room sort of shit with Tormson. It, it it took a bit to get going those first couple sessions it seemed were pretty slow absolutely agree and then after that things really picked up that was another reason that you have now reminded me of that things were pretty slow and i'm aware that unknown armies is a slightly cerebral game but it, it was pretty slow and i was i was oftentimes feeling out of it and like i had to pound my head against the desk to stop my brain from wandering into complete nonsense. It is so fascinating that you say that because I am the person with the least amount of tolerance for slowness in games that I know of. And the only session that I felt was slow is the one on the island, which everyone else stood up and clapped for and said it was their favorite. And I think it's because Adrian was like doing stuff like 90% of the time, but that meant that other people could only do stuff like 50% of the time. Whereas on the island, everyone else got to do whatever they wanted, whereas Adrian was like, oh, it wasn't shit. <laughs> to me, I think like a lot of the slow, especially in the first couple of sessions, was just kind of finding our footing as a group. You know, like a lot of the time, for example, like Melon, you're a very clever player. And, uh, you know, a lot of the campaign was driven by your clever plans. But you would kind of, it seemed like at least at first, you felt kind of uncomfortable about like, you'd come up with the answer, but you didn't want to just overrun everyone else by coming out and, and saying it. Yeah, with everyone, not just Melon, but I think greater with Melon, but with everyone had ideas and no one wanted to like push their ideas like, this is the idea. And so it kind of slowed down the game because we all were kind of pussyfooting around actually making a play. Bush stepping, as one might say. I Yeah, I agree with you. I noticed that the most in a Melon, and it honestly popped up in the corkboarding session, is the place where I noticed it first. If the rest of you were like uncomfortable about sharing your ideas, I, I, I didn't know that. But this wouldn't be the first time it would have. A social nuance would have gone over my head. I, I didn't really find it too difficult to contribute stuff for the corkboard. Like I kind of was kind of nervous with some things like the tiki head. I was kind of like, this is silly. That was Everyone great. Was silly. That and been then great. Thompson was like, oh, sick, tiki head. And I was like, yay. I think it was really easy to come up with wild, fun stuff during the corkboarding. I do think it kind of shows it was hard to rein in a little bit and focus on the prompt since we left our friend and the cult that killed her completely undefined. <laughs> and that's what left me going okay what am i gonna do i'm gonna have to fill in this bit that's on me for not telegraphing that more in advance being like remember guys there's a prompt yeah i think we went a little mad with power there but i think it also came down to again at least for me it came down to like i didn't want to define that stuff because i knew that whatever we put there was going to be the focus of the of the entire game and i didn't you know feel comfortable seizing that power as just one of the four people who are playing in it yeah, and I feel like a lot of the reason why it didn't get compelled is because Melon's character had a very tight tie to that, at least during the corkboard session, to that, to the cult, the friend who's dead, and the wizard, and all of that. And Melon was like, I, I don't, I don't know how I want to play this. 
you know, I don't want to impose this thing on a thing. And so then it just kind of got left up because none of us wanted to, Melon didn't want to force something on us and we didn't want to say, no, Melon, your backstory should be this. I will say in, 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 in offense against you, Top Hat, in, in the editing, I noticed a number of truths about uh, how we play the game just from looking at the editing. But one thing I noticed was I said this long spiel tying you to the friend in the fridge. And there were several pauses waiting for a response. And there was nothing from you. And then the end, the only response from you was, all right. And, just, and, I remember, <laughs> and then I remember like, God damn it. I put all that effort in. Give me a response. Top yeah, that. I was pushing for that really hard when like Torms and I did like one recorded session where we actually like try to like do sort of a creative back and forth on the direction that this was going to go. We still like continued corresponding through like private message and shit after that. But uh, one of the things I was really dialing down on during that uh, recorded session was, all right, this character is the, this dead person is the focal point of the campaign. And like basically everyone's motivation on some level, you really need to, establish some sort of connection between the players and her. Yeah, I don't feel like I established a very good connection. And I also kind of feel like my character as a plane was kind of boring. I don't know. Well, that's not my fault. I mean, I yeah. Gave you all the power. No, no one's saying anything's your fault, Tom. So it's just a postmodern. Actually, no, no, I am saying this is Thompson's fault because um, Thompson, <laughs> you've known me, you've known me for long enough. You know that fancy, subtle cues will go right over my head or under my radar, and you have to be like, no, fuck you, Top Hat. Here's your social cue. Eat it. Fair. <sighs> I'm pretty sure I've told you about this in the past, a and at least one of those times you weren't drunk, so you don't have an excuse to forget it. <laughs> Listen, the problem is that the social cue that Top Hat has missed the social cue is the cue that I will miss. And then it's built on itself, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think the big thing is like, uh, I don't even say you guys got mad with power, or it's just like, all right. More than anything else, I think the purpose of the corkboarding is getting a sense from the players of what do we want to see in this game? Because Unknown Armies is a very broad and wacky and wild setting that can contain a lot of stuff, especially for players that are coming at it totally fresh, like everyone in here except for a couple people who've done one-shots before, which are much more predefined, then it's, you know, kind of hard to really get a informed opinion from the players before you start that game. So the corkboard is, like, sort of the best way to do that, I think. And you guys did a very good job with that. And it just, like, you know, I wouldn't even say you got mad with power, just a bit distracted from, like, oh, yeah, hey, there's this kind of undefined thing in the center of it, which Torpson and I, mostly Torpson, ended up doing... a. I'd say a very good job of fleshing out, but it, the way we fleshed it out ended up, I guess, accidentally uh, pushing away some people, which sucks. What do you mean by that? Well, you said you weren't into all the sex shit. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, that's what I thought you meant, but I wasn't sure. We've gotten comments already as we started putting these things out that like some of the listeners is like, I wasn't expecting there to be this much weird sex shit. But they, they don't even know. They haven't even got to the fact that the cult is a they weird don't sex cult. They don't know. even know yet. That is something that I know that both Torpson and I put in our games a lot. Part of this, I feel a tiny bit bad because I have put lots of weird sex shit in my games and not just when I've read um, Mel and Bread's Delta Green scenarios. 
And neither of you guys were even the ones who put in the initial weird sex shit. That was all unconscious. I literally thought jerking off knowledge was just a, a metaphor. It blended in well with the whole GG unmasking, so it works out. When I do this this kind of thing, I try to be subtle and, and vague with it because I don't want to like just come right out on a podcast, listen to people and say, yay, anal penetration, literally, very literally. Like, So I was happy for it to be interpreted as metaphorically or literally, depending on the needs of the campaign. I was happy for it to to go either way, to to go both ways, you know, whatever. And then like in that moment where we actually confronted the guy, I suddenly got like a firm call in terms of the metaphysics on what kind of should be going on there. The metaphysics of Christ jerking off. Yeah. So I decided to just go with a little interpretation on the fly, but I hadn't even really made the call up until then on what it really meant. All I can think of right now is that a really, really shitty webcomic where when Christ is on the cross, the devil tries to seduce him and he gets a massive boner and it's drawn terribly because the artist has no idea how human anatomy works. I'm sure. Now, the one thing that I thought of was that it would be fun to make a character who infiltrated the the sex cult to steal all their money and thought that it would be very easy because they actually had no interest in sex and were very good at faking it. But that's not actually a super compelling detail to roll with. I think that we've kind of beat this topic to death because we're kind of going around in circles now. Sean, how did you feel about getting status sight from Joe Rogan. That was one of my favorite scenes of the entire thing, personally. With, like, the visions? Yeah, the visions of the castle built out of people. That was a trip, yeah. The palace made out of people was certainly a thing I was awed by. But yeah, you, 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 need, you need that way to initiate the players into the deeper mysteries, if you are including them. It's like uh, running Call Cthulhu and assuming that, all right, none of these guys have read Lovecraft before, but they'll, they'll, they'll get it, basically. That had two purposes. One was a sneaky way to get more metaphysics knowledge into the character knowledge base by giving Sean statusite in a way that made sense. The other was because I'm editing the thing and I, and I zoom out on Audacity and I'm like, man, it, it's me and Melon just going at it from most of each game and little little patches of everyone else. I'm like, I need to bring everyone else in. Personally, I, I really felt really satisfied with the the arc that that david got when i was playing this character there were a lot of moments where i was like i could go a lot further on this but i'm not going to because i've already taken up like too much of the the group's time when i like had to make the sand test to look at the tape when when adrian saw the the girl group saw the tape of adrian having sex with the cultists i had this whole thing where like i was trying to think of like okay why why would someone think that they'd be okay with it to like to like show the tape and then what would be the realization that you're really not okay with someone else seeing that? And then I was thinking maybe Adrian's got like a giant clothes iron shaped burn scar below her shoulder blade that she really does not like other people seeing. But she forgets about because it's on her back and she doesn't have to see it. I, I didn't think of that, but that's good top hat. It's like the dude says in Death of Stalin, we're better as a committee. <laughs> <laughs> I liked how that showed up during the gameplay where you just slammed shut the laptop and was like, nope, we aren't looking at this any further. I'll yeah. get you the information later. It was still a cool narrative beat. You um, have to let, you have to, because one of the things that you guys did is you let the audience into the mind of the character a little more than I think I did. 
because I don't usually embody a character very well when I play an RPG. I typically just do what seems like the good idea at the time rather than trying to enact the headspace of the the end of the, the player character. When I used to do like play by post or text based games, it was a lot easier to come up with a very rich, grounded thing for the character to do to think what would they do in this circumstance and then have them carry it out and think of cool supporting details. But when I play a game now, I just don't bother. It's harder to in the moment, I think, is part of it. I, I don't have the same extent of the problem as Melonbread, but my I basically attempted to create something that I could relate to. I mean, it's no, no mystery to people here that I like science and I think it's quite cool, despite having no like actual formal education. And I try to be like, all right, this is UA. It's a game where it focuses a lot about what goes on in your character's head. Um, I am not prepared for that, so I'm going to create a character who is vaguely like me. Maybe I didn't make it enough like me. Maybe he should have liked cats. But I was like, all right, let's, you know, I'm not typically bothered by depictions of... Well, actually, that's not even true. I just made someone who was detached from reality and interested in the beauty of the cosmos, as I said at the very beginning. But either that didn't end up being a very interesting character, or I was still unable to embody that to a certain extent, and I felt like that shot me in the foot. I think you did a fine job, at least from my listening to it. Yeah, I mean... I liked your character. I mean, I mean, I did too. I kind of feel like Tamir would have been better. I can think of other settings or other objectives that would make Tamir shine a lot. Like anything where you're like scientists trying to figure out or debunk the unnatural or figure something out, to me, it would be a really interesting character. We kind of had some of that a bit with Melon's character, too. Like, honestly, I think everyone's character was kind of tied into that theme in a sense. We had a true believer with David. We had deep skeptics with Tamir and Adrian. And then Sean was someone that is also skeptic, but coming from the position of someone that's been burned by this stuff. Your, your shit ain't real. Mine is. I did try at the end to make sure that each character had like a choice at the end to make, which is the martyrdom with David, the choice whether or not to join the the main sect for Adrian and the What to do with Chester for me? Yeah, the 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 Chester choice, whether to help him or let the animal control guy just kill him and end it. Yeah, with that to me it would have been the offering of joining with the booty booties who were gonna be ancient total scientists who had wandered around the Great Lakes observing the stars for thousands of years. I mean, I already know what I what my character would have chosen, which I guess is a sign that they're a good character. What would they have chosen? They would have chosen to go with the, the, the booty booty spirits. The possibility of, like, even I as a real person, but also Tamir, being able to just dive into that much knowledge is really fucking tempting. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think there would have been much more like that for Tamir throughout the rest of the campaign. There wasn't a whole lot of cosmic wonder. Like the the, the island, the, the island was 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 like that. But I think in general, the campaign was quite grounded. Tamir would have seen some weird shit out on the island, like his his dreams and hopes, and like the, the beauty of the cosmos would have shone through there. But since he wasn't there. It didn't get included. We have spent some time like talking about things that we wish could have been changed, things that we weren't as into, yada, yada, yada. But uh, what, like, just speak, like, asking everyone, what were some of your favorite moments from the game? Like, what did you like a lot? Conscious, let's start with you. Obviously, for me, also, the Island episode was my favorite. Um, the twist with Jeez, I didn't see coming at all. Like, I really didn't think it was going to be a big element. I thought it was just going to be like a random 
thing that's like the reason my character does this and then I was just kind of going to be left behind. I like that because I like I like the moment where um I whisper like I think I think it's just Gigi Allen guys and I was I was I was not actually expecting it to be him but looking back that's one of those moments where the player gets to feel clever, even though in retrospect, it's pretty obvious. That, that was brilliant. The the I remember the, the way you sort of just like murmured that way. It, it seemed very in character in a way, even though it was kind of character player synchronicity. I really, I, I really do love love the this, this is this is like a um a, a pretty played cliche, but I love I love the characters super positive about something. And then just to this tells the rest of the group, like, hey, can we just huddle for a second? And they're like, okay, this is a load of barnacles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was definitely my personal favorite scene. There's a lot of good details in that. Like the one that yeah. sticks out to me was you diving after him and you're kind of like struggling to hold on to him in the water while he's standing there and <laughs> yeah. you're like in the water and you're still trying to beat the shit out of him. Yeah, that was a brilliant image. Uh, more like general than just stuff relating to david which is a pretty good way to win me over as a player is like yeah conscience do some acting in terms (laughs) of like the more general game i um i really enjoyed like the whole chester subplot was really cool i really liked how we sort of had the city falling down around us and i'm i'm really into that sort of thing where like this big horrible event is kind of happening but the game is focused on something else uh and so all the riots and stuff in the background while we were trying to solve this thing, I really, really enjoyed that for flavor. Like instead of, you know, sitting in a cafe, watching people walk by while, you know, uh, keeping a lookout, instead you're sitting in a cafe watching, you know, like the military in the streets while keeping a lookout, which just, you know, to me makes the scene a lot more interesting. I think the sort of like children of men shit, things are actively fucked and falling apart around you, but you have this goal that's sort of ancillary to it. I was actually clapping when the booty booties arrived. Not the booty booties, the booty spirits. When the booty spirits arrived yeah. to save the day, that I, I went I went nuts. That's that's cute. My favorite moment with Sean was probably in the last session, just where kind of my obsession and the power I got kind of blended together and gave me this very cool thing where I could sort of sense what people's weaknesses are. But then I got one step to it and I kind of had to piece together how to actually turn that into a strategy. If Yvonne's weakness is her real identity, then okay, her her name is only one part of that. What other personal details can we use to try and put her on the back foot? And just when we're going up against Woody... I immediately caught that he made this extended Bruce Lee reference, but it took me a little bit to realize that he was actually like using magic from Bruce Lee tapes to give him these crazy powers. Yeah, the fact that you caught that and none of us, none of us caught it was pretty good. Like as soon as Thompson starts describing him as doing, I think it was a standing backflip into a spin kick to swat away the lighter you threw out. I was like, oh, fuck. It all came together. (laughs) Yeah, I was really confused for a minute because I was going to say, like, b- before you went, like, y- you said something at the time, Heron, but I was going to, like, say, wait a minute, he rolled lower than me. What are you talking about? But he succeeded on his check to use Bruce Lee powers. Uh, but I was saying before that I really enjoyed the little character moments between Sean and the rest of the party sometimes. Uh, like, it only happened a couple of times and they weren't very significant on the campaign. But, like, David and Sean sitting in the cafe, for example, Heron, you really seemed to kind of shine a lot when, like, those little moments would happen and i really enjoyed that 
I didn't interact with many of the other characters using my character, but the, the few times I did, um, I wouldn't say they're my favorite, uh, but I, I did enjoy the bits of role playing that you and I did here, and that that was fun. Although I think there are only like two or three of them in the first two episodes. Well, thank you. John's basically your character because Cat Person ended up becoming vastly more important to how his actual <laughs> behavior than his cult survivor stuff. I'm I'm glad you had fun with it. Sean's cult survivor stuff was one of those things. There's a few little things in there that I, I feel I could have developed more or tied more in. Um, there was like, I, I did tie as much lo- as many loose ends as I could, but there was still like looking back and I'm like, ah, I should have tied this in. Ah, I should have tied this in. And that's something I should remember going forward. I don't really regret that because I feel like if we had played up the cult survivor stuff more, it would have been harder, I think, to distinguish it from Adrian's con artist stuff, since she was mm-hmm. actually a member of the cult and had been inside and knew how it operated. Whereas the cult I was with was really just being psychically dominated by a magical parasite. So the cat the cat person, I think, covered that stuff as well. Frank, Tormson, what are, what are your favorite moments? I really just loved the bit where Sean got satisfied. That is something... Like, the imagery there was great. The the fucking Joe Rogan bit was great. I did just generally greatly enjoy the whole extended interaction with G.D. Allen and trying to, like, fish him back and going to his weird, like, Stepford Wife uh, utopia thing. The stuff with the seance I actually thought was very interesting to listen to. Another good bit I remember was when David was digging up Siobhan's grave and Sean just kind of walks over and is like, you doing all right there, buddy? Like, that was a very good just character moment for the both of them. Yeah, that was one of the things I was thinking about. Well, David was my favorite in the relationships, so I just feel like I, I'm the one who's very gentle with him. Yeah, I remember in cockboarding, I like I had this like, funny idea, like, oh, David's your favorite. Well, David's trying to fucking make a cultist out of you for his cult. But then, like, that ended up going completely the other direction. One bit with Adrian that I remembered liking a lot was the whole her whole bit in the Silent Forest with the Scientology, the Scientology heist. Oh yeah. And there was that bit, like I'm not sure how much that was in character or out of character, but it was like you could tell there was actual temptation there. Oh, the magic TV. Yeah, the magic TV with um old Tucker Carlson talking about how you stole how you fleeced the hell out of the Church of Scientology. I mean that's still a possible future. I think in this game because there are so many layers between you and the target does what you want, that the only way it can actually work is if you either have a totally total mismatch of your skill versus theirs and and everything else, or if the DM cuts you some la- some slack and says, "I'm not going to have the have the NPC exhaust every option at their disposal," because as written, it's a posed test. And then see if they even give a shit because they might be too hardened to care. And most characters in the game are going to be pretty hardened uh, if the NPCs that I've seen are any indication. Not here, but in other places. And then from there, they can choose to still not give in and instead make a sand test. And then at that at that final point, they can they they take a temp, which means that they don't actually do what you want them to. They can choose to take the hit or do what you want them to do. Okay, I understand now. So there's not that final test. As a GM, I'd probably like if, if most of the time with the NPC, I would let the coercion go through because they they could just choose to freak the fuck out or take a hardened. But for the purposes of a narrative, I'm going to be like, okay, no, that that works. That coercion attempt because it makes sense. I still think it's really cool that 
the game does just take a stab at that. I don't think Unknown Armies is a very good role-playing game, but I do <laughs> appreciate the attempts to like like I I appreciate a good try. I think it takes a good stab at a lot of things that most role-playing games are just too afraid to touch. Like no one really puts their back into doing social mechanics. And it's nice to see an attempt, even if it didn't work out that well. The um what I will also say is that when Melon was talking about there the other role-playing games weren't don't have ways to show this, these character concepts and my brain was immediately going like that's not true and then it's like of course yeah there are ways you can do it but they're not explicitly supported but what playing an unarmed armies has opened my mind to at the very least is that well maybe there should be a way to support that you know open your brain to that like think of ways for players to be more inventive like if someone says yeah i'm just cowering in fear because um i don't want the monster to hit me in a D&D game, you can, instead of just having the D&D monster like roll randomly to see who they hit, you can say, all right, yeah, sure. You you, you pick on some metric and you say, no, you, you don't make them like roll dodge or, you know, no, fuck you, fight the monster. But you can let them try to avoid it. And I think before I wouldn't have thought about that as much as I have now having played two sessions and a corkboard. So many systems are just a combat engine and Unknown Armies at least is not that. I think Ananavis does encourage like weird solutions to problems. Like I, I recall when I was a player in a campaign and we were all playing like a, a mystical cabal of Yang Gang um, guys and we encountered like a, a powerful mystical wall and my the way I dealt my character dealt with the problem was to ask the wall whether or not he was American or cared about America or cared about the election and just went into an election spiel and it worked. The wall I I I, I used my social influence against the wall. The magical wall was like, Yes, I am an American and I do care and it worked. I think what's helpful there is the whole identity system. It it does rely on good faith interaction, uh, and just, you know, good communication between the GM and the player. Some players really like having that reliable mechanism to fall back on, where it's like, okay, I know a system will work in this way. And identities lend to interpretation more so than a lot of systems. But the fact that it is, at the very least, baked into the system, I think does help, even if it does mean that whole back and forth uh, sort of um, mother may I shit is still there. Uh, While we're talking about favorite elements, um, I don't think I had a favorite element. You mentioned enjoying setting up the seance. What? No, no. I, I, the opposite of that. The the setting up the seance twice in a row was what drove me away from the game. You're right. You're right. I shouldn't have had like those two kind of like there were different kinds of rituals for different purposes. But now looking back, I can see the thematic similarities. They felt the same. And to someone who didn't know the intri- intricate meta plot, intricate intricate metaphysics of each one, they felt the exact same. I, I did like you on the theremin, though. The the only time I actually felt like I contributed meaningfully to one of the the to the was the first one, where I printed out all of where I, I was like, yeah, no, this they this is negligent homicide because um, all fridges cannot close because they've uh, been put with special latches, and this old fridge has a latch on it and it, it should be replaced. And then I printed out all the papers about um, uh, OSHA safe requirements. That was that was that was neat. That was that was, that was amazing. That was neat. And it got reincorporated in the final session. Nice. That was cool. a great bit. Um, you know, the, the, those bits when the players just 
through creativity and thinking outside the box a bit, come up with just great solutions to problems yeah. like that or the fucking the 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 salmon moose cat food. Yeah, the thing so is, I, I don't, bit. I don't, I don't feel like these. I'm probably being no, no. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna constantly doubt myself. Let I, it all out, top hat. I don't think Unknown Armies fosters these solutions any more than any other role playing game that is good does. I think there are role playing games that discourage this sort of out of the box thinking. And I don't think Unarmed Armies is one of those because I think it's a good game. Well, no, okay. It's it's not a bad game. <laughs> You've played worse. I've played worse. I have definitely played worse. Um, only one worse, though, because I have actually managed to avoid playing most of the systems that I actually <laughs> Holy made. shit. Damn. What was, what was the only game you hate more than Unarmed Armies stop at? Um, it was like a play-by-post I played on 4chan. Of like some weird indie RPG, <laughs> but what, slightly better than Fortune play by play. I'm so what, sad now. Was it Necronica? Was it made? No, it wasn't made. Um, I think it was like it was called Night Call. Fatal. No, it was not Fatal. We we wouldn't we we would we would have saved the thread with all the dice rolls if we were actually playing Fatal. I, I don't actually know how to play uh, either Necronica or Made. I just kind of steered away from those out of like my instinct. Yeah, so you heard it here, folks. Greg Stolze, your game is slightly better than an incoherent play-by-post on 4chan. Oh my god. Destroyed. Fucking tiny Godzilla over here. Holy shit. This is what I do. Um, you guys are you guys are familiar with me. I, I try to hold back. Oh yeah. I try to I, I try to find positive things. I'm sorry, Heron. I, hey, I know you've complained about in the past about being negative, but here's the thing: we we did keep asking him to tell us this stuff. Like we can't. You can complain about someone being negative, and you can ask them for your opinion, but don't ask them their opinion and then complain about them being negative. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm just apologizing to Tom because he's the one person who didn't ask. I think we kicked Greg Stolze to death by this point with the, with this with this feedback. The fact that he has created a game that this many people have had good experiences with. I, I, Unknown Armies and, is here, a good Here's game. the thing, though, Tom. I don't know how many people have actually played Unknown Armies because it's one of those games that many. a lot of people talk about. It's very deep lore that sticks in the mind of, like, the McDonald's cult and the videotape sex cult, and the, those are the only two. But the, the question is how many people actually played it? I listened to where you guys talked about actually running the game because I had asked you to do that, and it was only fair that I put my fucking ears where my mouth is. And I like that episode. And I also like this episode because I had a lot of fun playing the game. If Unknown Armies were easier for me to grasp, I would consider running it myself. But it does feel like it's sort of in that eclipse face territory. I disagree there, but... I'm just trying to think of like setting the shot pages and hardening for a single NPC and how much effort that would be. It's a bit of effort. It's annoying. Well, I mean, it's out of my grasp for sure. So well, I need to know these things because I'm going to run more actual plays so that yeah. it's not just Ross yeah. Payton GMing Good. in the public. Good. I'm also going to do some eventually when I have more time and not in school. The other thing, though, uh, I wanted to just mention that the game that I played that was advertised to me as like Unknown Armies was a game called Esoteric Enterprises that I've talked a little bit about on my <laughs> Delta Green show. And... It is not actually anything like Unknown Armies in the way that it plays. However, uh, it does have a very similar feel to the setting. The vibe, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I would I would disagree in terms of... I mean, Greg, I agree that the gameplay is, is nothing like at all. Uh, but apart from like a very vague aspiration towards being kind of wacky that they both share, like 
to me, it, it's very different in terms of Esoteric Enterprises. I mean, obviously, I'm only speaking from playing one campaign of Unknown Armies, but Esoteric Enterprises is way more extravagant with its unnatural presence, at least to me. Like when you go into the Undercity, which is where you spend all your time, everything you meet has some kind of magical component. But like Unknown Armies, I mean, that game was mostly just like us kind of, like apart from when we were casting spells. It was just kind of us just like hanging out with some weird guys. There wasn't really much magic going on. It was a magical island that literally made all of our dreams come true. And it took one session. Yes, it took an an entire fifth of the game was spent on a magical island that make all our dreams come true. About 100% of our esoteric enterprise campaign was spent in a magical undercity where magic is happening all the time. And also all my dreams came true. Hypothetically true. (laughs) I'm playing an esoteric enterprises game right now, actually. And I, I get where uh, I get where conscious is coming from. I, I, I'd say it's not only really baked into the system; it is to a little bit, just because Esoteric Enterprises is drawing from the whole dungeon. I, I'll say this: the Unknown Armies system is much more competently designed than the Esoteric Enterprises system. I, in Esoteric Enterprises, it's like you got one in six chance to trip over your own dick. It's, it's still tied system. in fundamentally into the whole dungeon crawling thing, and that's where it's strange. Oh, I think a lot. the dungeon crawling part is great. It's just that the rules that they use are a clumsy hack of Lamentations, which is a clumsy hack of Basic. Yep. <laughs> like, Esoteric Enterprises is, as a setting, it's more urban fantasy, while Unknown Armies is meant to be a bit more subtle, a bit more mon- they have more mundanity around as part of it, while Esoteric Enterprises is a bit zanier. Like, that's the same. It's urban low fantasy. It's the same thing. It like the the way I put it is, this, um, this is every fucking argument I had in freshman yes. year of high school about what magical <laughs> realism was, whether it was fucking <laughs> fantasy. And I argued that it wasn't. I argued it was the same goddamn thing, and they were just changing the definitions because the dudes who wrote it spoke either Spanish or Portuguese. Isn't there like a Gene Wolf quote about this exactly? No, what it is is that is it's that the people don't want to say the right no, because they feel that it's a genre, it's a degraded genre fiction thing. They want to have pretenses of sophistication, so they make up another word for it. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. No, but yeah. esoteric enterprises is way more fun. The urban yes. urban fantasy is way more fun than whatever unknown armies is. Yeah. So Gene Wolfe said, "Magical quote: Magical realism is fantasy written by people who speak Spanish." Wait, actually? Yes. Holy shit! I I can't believe that I. <laughs> Whoa. came up with the same insight as the greatest magical realism author of all time. Sorry, Borgs. <laughs> George Lewis Borgs, my Borg. favorite magical <laughs> realism writer. Borg Borgs. George Borg. No, that's my favorite uh, OSR hack. Have you heard the Borg about the Borg? I do like the fact that we, we detoured from kicking the corpse of Greg Stolze towards kicking the corpse of Cave Girl. Oh, come on. No, I'm saying Esoteric Enterprise is a better game. It is. Whoa. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Um, I, I think, think Melon just did a very good job running it. I think that... I also uh, ran it, and it was it, awesome. Yeah, I think that it has... Um, it is better at, like taking stuff and translating it into gameplay with minimal effort on the part of the player or the person. Actually, it's not minimal effort. There is a substantial amount of effort in in generating it. But I guess what I'm thinking of is like, you've got a book that has, here's how to create your your secret city and bring it to life and have all these monsters and demons and shit. And then as a player, having all that stuff popping off and happening constantly 
feels much more alive than the sort of subtle, slow, grindy style of of, of something like like Fresh Bay. No, I was just gonna say I like I, I do feel a twinge of missing out when y'all have regaled me with the tales of your campaign, but that is nothing to twinges well the full on tugs that um, happened when I I wasn't as able to participate in the Esoteric Enter- Enterprises campaign um, as I would have liked to be. I actually tear up listening to Starfetch's music now because of that campaign. Right. I think that the um, it's the bit in Rain and Dust, the first piano hit. For me, it's the shimmer out of the end. It's like, that's it. It's over. Anyway, this is not relevant to 30 <laughs> the way The way I'd put it, the way I'd put it is that, um, and this is something that OSR stuff at its best is very good at, is Aesthetic Enterprises is a great toolkit for running a game. It gives you so much shit to use. I would love one day just to take uh, the corkboarding from Ananamis and the occult underground generation from Esoteric Enterprises and maybe the generation stuff from Silent Legions and maybe Kenneth Hyatt's Conspiramid and throw them all into a giant pot and just boil them down into some perfect un- occult underground generating system. I think it's possible, but none of these are perfect. Can I talk about the cockboarding? Sure. I am not a fan. I was really not a fan at the start. Like Doing it was fine. It, I think it's pretty fun exercise. I didn't find it slow or boring. The way it's kind of paced with you sort of go between your character and the corkboard, I found interesting. But in like the first couple of sessions, looking back on it, I I hated it because uh, Top I was talking about how he he was frustrated that we didn't get to f- run into the things that we put there. But I felt like there was too much as a player. You know, the the thing that keeps me going as a player, apart from like you know getting to do acting and stuff, etc., is uncovering this world right. that the gm has made you know like discovering you know what i see as a piece of art you know a, a, a good role-playing game setting is art to me and i like to explore it and i don't like to keep running into shit that i i put there you know i, I don't want to play in my setting i, I want to play in yours i want to know what what your ideas are and that's that's that i can definitely see why from that perspective you would 100 percent prefer a dungeon crawl through a literal occult underworld to creating the setting and then and, and then inhabiting it. I can see how like other people could enjoy cockboarding more than like, like they, they could enjoy, you know, putting things in the world and seeing them sprout. And I did cackle when the booty when the booty spirit showed up. It's interesting to me that like in many ways, like second edition of Unknown Armies, it didn't have the cockboard, he didn't have any of that, and the the book was arranged more like the you're slowly uncovering like it was it was going from like local global to cosmic which meant like you started off not knowing shit and then it was the the book itself was arranged in a way that you were slowly uncovering how the metaphysics and the underall setting worked more like what you're talking about but that changed quite a bit in third edition where a lot of stuff that was secrets got placed at the start of the book and it was a design decision the two ebooks uh, well, especially like the core book is much better at initiating a GM and to a lesser extent players into the secrets of unknown armies very, very gradually in a way that feels natural and you want to read more to uncover the shit. There's a reason that you see way and may, part of that can just be put down to like the game being much older and sort of having a 90s spirit to it. But you see a lot more people that got into Unknown Armies with 2nd Edition than 3rd. I think, like, 
the big thing there is like, you know, the third edition kind of it, it has that issue that Kickstarter games sometimes have where it's like, oh, right, we already have a guaranteed audience that we can get to fund this beforehand that we know will already like this shit and already is invested. So we don't need to work to get them invested. With regards to corkboarding and commenting on that, I will say I enjoyed the corkboarding process, but whenever it came time to deal with a number on my character sheet, I got very frustrated. Because you had no idea what it meant. I had no idea what it meant. Um, and I feel like even if I played the game, I still had no idea what it meant. Um, because, I mean, that's my fault. I didn't read the rule book, but it's still frustrating to have uh, a game require that level of knowledge, but also not. And I was literally advocating, like, this is a game you don't need to read the rule book for. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that was true. Part of it was the, the particular character sheet that I chose because it's editable as opposed, and it's not actually the official one. The official one has its own issues. The PDF you chose is absolute trash. This is a common thread with lots of PDFs, like PDF editable things, like the one for Rogue Trader is garbage. What's wrong with it? it? The text is too big. It doesn't fit in the tiny spaces. I was looking for the fact that as soon as you roll the mouse wheel or try to zoom in and out, the entire thing disappears and starts loading again from scratch. Yeah, these things that aren't flattened is just, ugh, yeah. I can't think of any other games that have poor PDF flattening, even after I talked to Simon Cogswell about it over and over again, and everyone else has been complaining about it for fucking three years. I can't think of any, <laughs> any I can't think of anyone in our dream that would have this problem. <laughs> the Delta Green PDF character sheet is, is okay. It's very simple. Which helps no, it's not okay because it has a background. It has a background, yes. so your yes. printer is printing out an entire sheet of gray ink when that's not necessary because there's nothing of value there. I don't need to know that my character sheet is an imaginary top secret operation. I need a character sheet that I can print in black and white without needing to buy a new toner cartridge. Maybe I should make a Google Sheets thing. I don't think the character sheet was that bad. I do think that this game would be a lot harder if that dude hadn't written an SRD for it. Whoever yes. whoever armies whoever known armies guy is, that is he's like a fucking champion. He's he's um the guide archetype. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, unknown armies are known. Um the, the books have a lot of issues. Um and the system I think I admire three as much as I do, is because it tries so many different things it's like conscious went earlier it tries it's handed a lot of things doesn't always succeed a lot of time but it usually gets close enough that you feel like i can fix this i wish it had like maybe tried or maybe not tried i don't know what went wrong with the way stultzy wrote the books for this one but I mean, I, I I can sort of see these going for kind of like, you know, a unique style, which is cool. Are oh, you talking about like, the writing style? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I like it's 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 not a game I, I think it's not necessarily a game you have to read the rule book for, but it's definitely a game that I cannot read the rule book for because I can't I have tried and I can't read it or understand what it's saying to me. Well you can't you can't reference it. It's, yes. You can't find information that you know is there and need to retrieve in order to run the game or play the game. It's filled with all those bits like um, give a child a red marker and, and try to stop him from drawing on you. It, it makes it, at least speaking for myself, I I think it was Melon that said he just doesn't like the writing style that much. I'm not going to go down this road because... It, it's not the only person who said that. Like, I don't mind it, but I've heard it a lot of people. Uh, we've, like, talked to people that just get 
pushed away by the style that the books are written in. I find it more engaging to read through on the first time as compared to most role-playing game books. Oh, yeah. But the big problem is that it doesn't help me remember that shit, one. And two, when I'm actually trying to reference at the table, it makes it much harder to do that, this, this very this conversational style. With, with lots and lots. It's really an issue with modules, with published game scenarios, the vast majority of which are written to be read rather than played. And I am hypercritical of Delta Green published scenarios, but I will say they have gotten much, much better mm-hmm. than a lot of people in the world about writing stuff that you can actually reference. I'm not saying that all the scenarios are necessarily great from a design perspective, but writing them in a way that the person running them can actually fucking run them is RPG tech that puts you in like the 90th percentile. Yeah, I, I've never felt like I was like, all of my, I can't run this has come from outside outside of the game. Like, I don't feel competent that I can manage, juggle all these balls. But I mean, hey, if I need to find a ball, I know what page it's on. I'm, I'm, I'm going to cut it off here because I because they're not Delta Green podcast. So, and honestly, yeah, like when I, I recognized that when I was running a campaign with this, I recognized that problem really early on with the UA books and I went to an Unarmies armies unknown. So again, thanks guy who put that up and runs it. You're not even an avatar of the guide. You're an avatar of the unsung champion. It's right a there. really good website. Wait, wait, if you're the avatar of the unsung champion and someone tells you you did a good job, do you just fucking lose all your powers? Uh, I think as long as we don't know the guy's name, he's good. Okay. That does remind me of, I'm looking at some of the books. I think it was book four or something. Like one of the UA books, I got really annoyed because not only wasn't it indexed, it wasn't even like table of contents, correct? Oh, none of the UA books are well indexed. Or table oh, of contents. Oh, here, here's something I liked. I'm gonna say something I liked. Uh, Tom, I liked that at the end, um, the cat came back, and you, even though you had every reason to want him dead, you immediately refused to let the overly officious animal control officer put him to sleep. I had a little bit of time going back and forth between how like hard to make Sean because I feel like towards Yvonne and Woody he was for he was approaching kind of brutal in his attitude. He's a cat person, of course. He'd emphasize with the cat. He is. He he was getting to to be like the guy from uh, Seven Psychopaths who he likes the dog a lot and not a whole lot of other people. That's fair. I was just thinking like. There's a lot of complicated feelings there towards Chester. And so even though he did this terrible thing, there's still a part of him that sympathizes and wants him to be okay because he is just an animal. Yeah, and you, you don't go too super, super, super deep into the, the internal character motivations. In my, in my case, I'm talking about Adrian knowing that what came back wasn't actually the person who she was working very hard to resurrect and very deliberately not telling anyone else, although it would be super obvious to uh, Tom's character, to Sean, and then also not really acknowledging it to herself. But then also, like, at the end, basically saying, I forgive all you stupid cultists, I'm cutting you loose, except for fucking Yvonne, who is not even the one who she should be pissed off at. Yvonne is, was meant to be kind of a bit of a tragic character. Uh, Woody fucked with a lot of people's lives. And he fucked with a lot of people. No, he just filmed it. And he fucked yeah. with himself a lot while filming. Yeah, I, I don't really feel like I have much else to say. On, on that note... <laughs> well, no, I, I shouldn't be the one who gets to decide all this is over. What do people think that I should concentrate on or focus yeah. on 
in future APs? Like, what is advice I that I that I may ignore that I would like to hear? I'm also interested in this because I might run some of these myself. Maybe take some more time to brief the people you're playing with. Get things on the same page. Work out mm -hmm. if we're going to have Jesus jacking off or not. I know that you like to be a little uh, a capricious, uh, uh, funny little little expat Aussie. Gremlin? But I think that when you're doing an actual play, you you, sh you probably should like take some time to kind of let the players in behind the screen a little bit. Like I think a lot of the time we were just missing some kind of basic knowledge that would have helped make a more enjoyable show. I think that's fair. I I don't understand what you're saying that he's being a, a capricious man. What, what what was this? I don't understand what that means. As in like he's you know he does like what for, he like. Wants. No, not, well, I mean, that's what capricious means. But in this instance, I mean that like, you know, oh. we ask him a question about the metaphysics. And he's like, oh, I'll never tell. <laughs> I think that sometimes that's warranted, but sometimes for a recorded session of Unknown Armies, you need to be more clear about how much information about the the world and about the game the players should have. No, I I, I can kind of understand Torms' perspective on this, which is that he does want it to be a genuine discovery for the for the people playing the game because you said it yourself that that is something that's valuable i understand it's not the same as like going out into a new you know going into like an entirely new dungeon region and hearing the music change in a description of a different environment but that is i think the value that he was trying to bring to the table i think that mystery is valuable but it just seemed like a lot of the time the kind of the expectation changed from scene to scene on like what we were supposed to know and, and what we weren't I, I would agree with that from what i was listening into with you know david casting magical spells with the rituals and stuff it was really unclear to me what i knew about magic what i should know stuff like that i just didn't have any understanding i knew that i could do magic in some way and that was all i knew and it's really hard to kind of formulate plans and stuff when you have no idea what you've got to work with you know maybe that is the way the game is supposed to be but that's where you should be very clear about that up front before we start recording no you're right the fact that you could do gutter magic means that i should have been more open like this is exactly what you can do with it you know this because jesus taught you in your dreams um I, yeah that's something i definitely could have done much better i can also understand though your desire to kind of let let the rubber meet the road and get playing because one of the weaknesses of having a session zero where you establish things is that it takes a whole session and when you're running a game for people who have never played it before and are kind of unsure about the whole like rpg thing or unsure about the specific game you're playing that can be like all right we just spent four hours on bureaucratic number crunching and to its credit unknown armies has you making more than just boring numeric decisions during the creation phase but it also i think gets people rearing to go in a sense that like we just did a whole session of metaphysics let's fucking play so i think that might be why we kind of just dove in in a way that perhaps did not plumb all the depths that it needed to every time i run or listen in on corkboarding i always come back with a sense of the gm needs to do more guidance next time each time it's like all right we're gonna do more guidance this time and then it's still all right we need to do more guidance next time well this is why i rewrote the corkboarding rules and i'm going to use my rewritten ones for the next ap that's part of it i think the other thing is just making sure that you know especially if players are like i'm going to play this unnatural identity you need to communicate with them before the first session of play somehow and be like all right here's what you can do 
read this part of the rulebook or I will tear out these pages of the PDF and put them together to send to you as, okay, here's the explanation for what your character can do over the course of eight pages or so. Make sure to read through this. It's something that's not really in the rules for the corkboarding. Like, I'm like, I read over them and I'm like, where is the point where I explain what the fucking adept is or an avatar yeah. is? Where is the yeah. point? Where is the clever point where I can insert this it's because the cork body is kind of designed for people who kind of know what they're doing already which is which is a problem that can be really rough especially for a player that doesn't know what options they have to choose from far as avatars or adepts or any other sort of unnatural identity from what i've seen uh your cork boarding rules are at least attempting to the big change that they have is like you just saying, all right, here's the step where you explain blank. I don't know what these corkboarding rules are, but that sounds like a good change. Because that was one of the problems I had. Like not having a point where I could say, where I knew I should be like, okay, this is what this means. And one of the problems was I disliked in I dislike in the rules as written is how you can notch any meter willy-nilly. It's like, okay, notch two meters, whatever two meters you choose. And it's just, it becomes more confusing because it's like, what does violence mean? What does self mean? And like, in my version, I'd like split them up. I'm like, now everyone will notch the self and this is what it means. Now everyone will notch the isolation and this is what it fucking means. I'm going to see how it goes in play. The notching aspect was part of what really tripped me up because there was just so much freedom to do whatever the heck I wanted. And I was like, ah, what do I do? They do that well with the unnatural because that I think does require a bit more explanation than the other meters. But the other meters still require explanation. Because they're all very important. Making sure the players know what the meters fucking mean means would help with like coercion and grokking that whole side of the system because you know what you're trying to manipulate at least features are probably the hardest bit of the system to explain i think yes and that's that's rough and i honestly don't really know how to solve that problem by going to onarmiesunknown.com it'll help you i mean i went there and i was still confused I mean, it helped. It's good for referencing, but yeah, it's it's not going to explain shit to you very well. And that is kind of why we're all circle jerky about the whole like deep lore of unknown armies and how we talk about being initiated into the mysteries like it's actually a fucking esoteric cult. Because the, the shit is really actually hard to explain a lot of the time. And that is a problem with the game, honestly. It, it, it makes you feel special after you put in the time to do it before that and while you're trying to convince people to do it that aren't sold on it already um it did actually help me understand what sort of things could be features um that's one nice thing i will say about it is that a it's it's cool if there's a it's indexed and everything but before i was like what the fuck is a feature and, and then it has this massive list of all of them and like i don't really know how they work but i can look at them and be like oh okay so that's what it's talking about which is better than just staring at a blank page and being what the fuck i am a big believer in the idea that if you can't explain something simply you don't actually understand it yourself which means that i'm gonna have to go back and and grind a little bit to make sure i can fully explain to people what the fuck these features mean and everything anything else that anyone wants to add i think we covered everything yeah it seemed like the big thing is we ran into some problems with cork boarding and that meant for the first couple sessions we were sort of catching up and figuring out what to do. And then once we really got our feet on the ground, or rather you guys, you got your feet on the ground, because I wasn't that involved with this. Uh, Thompson, like, I'd say like the the creative aspect of this was like three quarters you, as far as like actually drafting up plans. Well, you were helpful. You were definitely helpful as, as a springboard for things. Yeah. Um, right. the, I, I really liked the writing room that we did, and I think yeah. it's going to be an interesting episode for people to listen to. I'm really looking forward to listening in to like a behind-the-screen kind of thing as a player that's particularly interesting to me the the issues with the corkboarding 
and just generally not be on the same page for a lot of reasons. Man, it took a couple episodes to really get everyone's feet on the ground. But once everyone did have their feet on the ground, it things were really, really good. I felt like that's kind of disingenuous because not everyone did get their feet on the ground. Because... No, you didn't. I mean, I'm still bummed that you left. And I understand why, totally. Because I did like your character and I want to see what happened with them. I just want to put that out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not as small of a problem as my tone may be implying. It, it's a legitimate issue. You need to start off strong uh, for your players and your listeners. The next AP I might strongly consider is just starting the first session in Media Res. So this is what you're doing, and this is why. Uh, but it will depend on what, what the corkboarding results in. I, I mean, I don't think that would shortcut the problem of every group needs some time to build some chemistry. But immediate might might help in terms of listening. I think that uh, apart from the, the double seance thing, which was a little strange, I think that you did a really good job, Thompson. Uh, I don't know how it's going to turn out for the listeners, but as a, as a player... That that was a really, really fun campaign. We'll fix it in post. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> the first episode will probably be way better than it was to play because we can cut out like all the time we spent just sitting there in complete silence. And like being like, how the fuck did this rule work again? Tormson, I still will say thank you for running this because I don't think I would have gotten the opportunity to do this and be able to say things. And now, now I can back up my opinions with actual experiences, which is not an opportunity that everyone on the internet gets. And I am, I am thankful. I'm, I'm just going to like on the recording, I'm just going to go through and, and make my voice a little bit deeper and add a little bit of a wobble to everyone else's voice so they sound like they're confused and I sound like I'm awesome. <laughs> I, I, I listened I to listened the, the cork recording podcast. This is the one time I have ever listened to my voice recorded and not like vehemently hated it and want to punch the computer screen. So I don't know what you guys fucking did, but it worked. Getting used to it helps. I'm not used to my voice, Frank. I'm not used to hearing it through things. It just, for some reason, it wasn't annoying that one time. And that weirded me out. You turned on the volume on my voice in episode two, which I appreciated. Any last notes from Melon and Tom? Well, I don't think I have a whole lot to add on to the pile at this point. Yeah, thank you for running. I've wanted to play this game for a long time, and I enjoyed it. And would you so again? Uh, I would think about running my own game of it. That's actually the question I have for the last thing I have for the rest of you. Would you be interested in doing this again? Like not from Torm or NSL, just playing a UA game again. Did you come back from, come out of this thing? Like, yeah, this might be something I'd want to do in the future. My answer slants more towards no than it did previously, but it's not all the way to no. That's what I will say. I'll say yes. I don't like the system, but generally in a good game master like Thompson. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure if you end up running or whatever, Frank, I'm sure it'll be fine. But... <laughs> Um, <laughs> you're, you're doing right. my point is I, i'm i'm happy to play i, I i'm not re- i don't really mind playing in a system i don't like so i am also down for more episodes i legitimately think torm is make good at making good of uh, a shitty situation that's it's a good you're good at it torm think on my feet it's, it's how yes. i've got through life Improvise. And Tom? Yeah, I'd definitely be open to playing again. Thanks for all this roundtable. Thanks for just dedicating all this time to this experiment of ours. And, you know, so much of this stuff is still on the editing room floor. But I'm really looking forward to hearing how all this turns out in the long term. And thank you very much, everyone, for speaking for myself. And Tormson can do a spiel himself for being involved in this. Yeah, thanks everyone for being involved in this. I know it was a flawed campaign, but that, that has its benefits as well for 
people listening in. My mistakes might be helpful for people. And there will be more of these sort of things. So I'm very happy everyone played in this. It was good. And uh, once this roundtable is over, you'll be returned to your homes of residence via pneumatic tube. Is that cool with everyone? Oh, yeah, they've been here for like two fucking months, haven't they? Like, you guys have been eating all right, right? Uh, I, I haven't yeah. been in charge of that. I don't know, son. Are you ready to eat this dick? Yes. What What, what happened to... Where's the, why does Top Hat have no legs? Did you eat Top Hat's legs? I think he, I think he ate them himself. No, I, I bend them up in a pretzel around my back. Uh, yeah. I've, I, of course, would never touch Top Hat's legs as I have my own food sauce. Is it, is it Jesus's semen? But that, that's the holy sacrament, dude. It's the Lord, Top Hat. I'm not comfortable with the sex cult stuff. Oh, is it Jesus's semen? This is this is this is why I feel bad about complaining about that shit because like I I did feel like I wasn't comfortable with it, but then I go on and say this. So I, my feelings are very. I think it should just start off with uh, Top Hat complaining. Oh, okay. come on. <laughs> go in. Go in. Get him, Top Hat. I'm saying it. I'm Tell saying that it because... I'm saying it not to talk shit. Well, I'm talking shit, but I'm also <laughs> saying hard. it because I appreciate the aesthetic of Top Hat complaining. I enjoy so it. just a slow fade in on Top Hat on some rant. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Fucking the thing theme fades in. Oh my god, you guys are all insane. Okay. Why? I think you are you legit into this.